Well, hello to anyone and everyone who's joining us and welcome to The Messy Table, an ordinary space where we can show up and remember that God is constantly at work in our mess. So if we've never had the chance to meet, my name is Jen Jewell, and I love getting to host this faith-fueled conversation-style podcast, which unleashes a real story and a fresh perspective into your world and your speakers every other Tuesday. So whether it's your first time here, or maybe you've joined us for lots and lots of episodes, whether life is going pretty well for you right now, or you are facing your very darkest moments, we are truly honored you're here. Y'all, we are partnered with women of my church, Life Church, where we are also huge fans of the YouVersion Bible app, a powerful tool that's already in your hand or literally in your back pocket, and it is free and available for digging deeper into God's Word. And beyond those things, one of our greatest joys here at The Messy Table is locking arms with brave and courageous women from all over who are willing to share a piece of their life. Because you know how it is. We go to our normal places, our local grocery store, our favorite coffee shops, the office, the gym, the library, our kids' schools, our go-to restaurants, sporting events, our churches. And we might even see or connect with some incredible women. But we don't always realize that we're in the midst of survivors, of overcomers, of everyday heroes. We just don't always know what burdens they've carried or what tragedies they have faced or what redemption they have seen. And that is just one of the reasons why I'm super excited to introduce you to my guest for today. Jen Lake is full of warmth and joy and life. She has a beautiful family and active schedule and I doubt she has ever met a stranger. But if you just met her out on the street or you saw her in the produce section at Target, you would never know about the unexpected things she's encountered. Both the really, really hard and the really, really sweet. As always, we have so much to learn from each other. So grab your coffee, pull up a chair, and join me for a chat with Jen. Well, Jen, this is a really fun excuse to get to chat with you today. So welcome to The Messy Table. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm super excited about this. Fun to see you. I know. And since we have the same name, hopefully we're not confusing to anyone. (laughs) It's like the Jen show. Yeah. And literally the Bechtel part too, if I I had. (laughs) Exactly. My maiden name or like a law firm, you know, Jen and Jen. Yeah. Sounds something like that. I like it. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think you want me to be your lawyer though. No. No. (laughs) Or vice versa. So for those listening, you guys, Jen is married to my awesome cousin, Harris. Harris and I are about a month apart, so we're the same age. And so that makes you my cousin-in-law, Yeah, I guess. I don't know how that works. Something like that. Yeah. Sounds good to me. We'll take it. (laughs) But there's obviously just so much to who you are. And so if you would just give everyone kind of a peek into your world, tell us who you are and what you're all about. Okay. My name is Jen Lake, and I am quite a bit older than you by nine years, if you're one month (laughs) different. And a little bit older than Harris. Yeah, just a little bit. Um, And we have three kids. They are all at Baylor right now. We have Avery, that's a junior, and she's 21, and Sutton and Jude are 19, and they're freshmen. I really thought that Baylor was going to make it further in March Madness. I'm so sad that they got out. I know. They had a good season next year, maybe next year. Yeah, for sure. So... The boys went to every single game they could possibly go to, and it was a fun season for them at least, you know. Mm-hmm. But yeah. And you play tennis, don't you? Yes. That is definitely one of my hobbies. Um, I play probably three or four times a week wow. with uh, usually doubles with friends. And I also go to the gym, go to classes. I stay very active. I have lots of friends I see. So the whole empty nest thing is like <laughs> working out for me right now. <laughs> Come on. I love yeah. it. Now, did you play tennis in like high school or yeah. was this like an adult thing? Yeah, I started around like 12. Okay. So so you definitely played. Yeah, I took a little break in my 20s from soccer and tennis. And then I started up playing soccer soccer again when I was probably 29 till I was about 33 when I moved to California. Okay. But I stuck with tennis when I got to California, I stuck with tennis and I just can't get enough of it. I'd play every day if I could. Uh (laughs) Well, I want to play tennis in California. I mean, you know, sunshine every day sounds amazing. Yeah. We never had rainouts or anything. (laughs) (laughs) I bet it's raining here right now as we're recording this. So I'm like, 
Give me the sunshine. Yes. But okay, well, as we dive in, uh, we're going to go back to 2005. Your entire world was just flipped upside down. And I know that this is an incredibly tender part of your story, but if you're willing, we would just be really honored to hear what happened. Okay. Um, so a tiny backstory. When I was 23, um, I married my dream guy. Um, <laughs> he was my brother's best friend and the guy that I'd had a crush on for seven and a half years. <laughs> and he finally turned my way and fell in love and we got married and a few years later, we had three kids in two years. <laughs> due to Real twins. quick. Due to twins. Yeah. I love that. So, Which, by the way, was that, did you naturally conceive twins? Oh, yeah. They're identical. Evidently, this is something that people may not know. Fraternal twins are two eggs dropping and getting fertilized. Mm -hmm. So you, a woman, can only do that. And it's it's hereditary. It can happen medically also, um, but it can be hereditary where it runs only through the woman's side of the family. Mm. So if you're if your husband's family has fraternal twins, it's not going to make you drop two eggs. Okay. You know, doesn't affect it. No. So, but identical twins are just a fluke. They're uh. just like God laughing at you. <laughs> saying, see, see, what, see what you can do with this. And so we had the identical little twin boys and they were crazy, crazy wild. Anyone that <laughs> knew me then would know they're probably shocked I even survived <laughs> and that they survived with those and that they survived and that they actually turned out to be really great humans yeah, <laughs> they did so we had one weekend was a, a Baylor homecoming weekend and our church uh, Kyle was the pastor of University Baptist Church in Waco and that Sunday of Baylor homecoming he was going to be baptizing our friend Karen and he stepped into the baptismal to, um, to baptize her. And when he went and tapped the mic outside of the baptismal, the electricity from the mic went all into him mm -hmm. and it electrocuted him. And they did try to revive him, but like they couldn't, there was too, too much electricity voltage in his body. Gosh. So he passed away, um, October 30th, 2005, he was 33. I was 30. Avery was five and the boys were three. Mm -hmm. And, and you were like on the front row, weren't you? Yes. Yes. I was on the front row thought, Oh, surely they'll be able to revive him. Harris's dad was there. There were a lot of actually doctors there because it was homecoming weekend. And our church was like, at the time, probably 80, 90% college students and their parents were visiting. Mm -hmm. So we had several doctors there that knew what they were doing, but there was just nothing with the amount of voltage that came through. Um, There's nothing they could do. And so he, he passed away that day and, you know, my whole life shifted in a split second. You know, the life that I had, that I had planned with Kyle um, for our future was just, you know, gone. Wow. And yeah, so that was that day <laughs> that started oh, the, the um, messiness in our life. Mm -hmm. um, up until then, it was just normal, chaotic, hmm. having toddlers and trying to me work part-time and him work full-time and yeah. just the, the normal stuff, the normal busyness. And then life just stopped. And suddenly you're a young widow with three small children. Right. It was one of those moments where, like, my whole identity, apart from my identity in God, my whole identity as a person, like, just shifted mm -hmm. to the one I didn't want, I didn't choose, you know, th so many things, like just being a wife and, like, a full family and yeah. a couple. Yeah. And just turning into a single parent when I had a, a partner before, you know, it all changed. Hmm. When something like that happens, you've got these, I kept calling them like ripple effects, like things that would happen because he died, this happened. And now I have to deal with this. And because yeah. he died, now this happened. Now I have to deal with this and this change happened. So now I have to adjust to that change. And, um, you know, things 
like that little things happening and it was just like so many at once and then like they they slowly like start happening where they're just like one or two a day Mm -hmm. or one a day and then maybe you know a couple a week and and they do slow down but at first it's just like it's overwhelming just the the shift I mean you think when you're getting married to the the person that you think you're going to spend the rest of your life with like there's never a time where you think you're going to be a widow with three children, Mm-mm. you know? So it's not something you can prepare for or mm-hmm. be ready for in, in any way. Well, and suddenly you're not only trying to like cope with this loss and I'm sure you're just, oh, I mean, it's just excruciating, but then also there's real life, right? Like you're putting three kids to bed right. and you're feeding three kids and you're just trying to probably keep your head above water. And I can just imagine explain to these precious children, like why daddy isn't here anymore when you're dealing with your own grief and then your families are dealing with their own grief and your friends and your church. And I mean, it had to have just been exponential. Yeah, totally. It was really hard because I've got all the people around me that are like helping to take care of us are also grieving as well. And for them to have to like step up and just kind of put that aside to just like help us for a while. I'm sure Mm -hmm. that was super difficult for people, but I also, I'm so thankful for all those people. There was like so many people in our community of Waco and really all over that stepped up to just help in every way possible in ways I never would have thought to ask for help. Mm -hmm. People came along and just helped with the kids babysitting, taking them to the park or to a a movie or picking them up from school or like two of my best friends set up before there was an online meal train Mm -hmm. (laughs) with with a phone. They called. No, they weren't texting either. We were just starting to text like in 2005. So they weren't into that yet. And I was still in college at that point. Yeah, I remember. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. You're a senior. If it was like a Blackberry or whatever phone, you had to like to get one letter out. Yes. Yes. And then you got really good doing it like blindly with it on the Mm -hmm. side. Like just of course. Um, I'm sure that's like really good for our thumbs, but, um, (laughs) anyway, so they set up this meal training for about eight months where I had meals like three times a week, like every other night for eight months. Yeah. Which was amazing because I was able, like after a couple of weeks, I was able to just like take care of the physical needs of the kids. Like yeah. Getting them where they need to be, getting them dressed, getting them to bed. Um, of course, with help. But with anything emotional, I was just shut down. Like I could not begin to emotionally take care of them. And so I am very thankful for all the people that came in and like were able to do that with them, to talk to them and walk through things with them. Of course, they asked me lots and lots of questions. Mm-hmm. Um I could only I could only do so much, basically. Oh yeah. Who were some of those people that really stepped in big time? Like were these your parents, Kyle's parents? Yeah, definitely our family, our church, like the amount of families and college kids that stepped up. It's just unbelievable. I just we just cleaned out our attic and so I had to go through a bunch of Kyle stuff that I had kept and just hadn't really gone through. And I have like a huge tub of letters and cards, like thousands of cards and notes from people just letting us know just they're supporting us and loving us and Mm -hmm. people from all over. But yes, and I have like a group of best friends in Waco that have walked with me through that. And we've all walked through everything with each other at this point. But they were my core group of girlfriends. And um, we still Marco Polo every day mm. <laughs> and see each other and go on girls trips a couple times a year. And, you know, when you go through things like that, it really can bring you much closer, you know, and that totally did that with that group of girls. But I, I just feel like the whole community of Waco was just there. I, I could call on anyone mm-hmm. and they would be there for me. Mm-hmm. I went to your church one time. Yeah. When I came to visit Harris and uh, David Crowder was singing at the time, which, you know, I thought was cool because I knew him, yeah. knew of him. Yeah. So, but yeah. yeah. It's a great church. So 
for you, what was like in those behind the scene moments, if you think back to maybe a specific moment that was just one of the hardest, does anything come to mind? Yeah, I don't know if I can think of like one particular moment, but probably the hardest thing for me that I had to learn was to kind of stand up for myself and like have my own opinion and be able to like stand up for myself and confront. I allowed Kyle to be the one that confronted in our family if something needed to be talked about or confronted. Mm -hmm. And he always dealt with his parents and I dealt with my parents. And that's just how we always did things. But now I'm the only one that like when my in-laws would need me to do something or I just, I felt really pulled for a while of like needing to do everything that they wanted me to do and, and more. And not that they were asking too much of me. It was just Mm -hmm. before Kyle could say, well, let me talk to Jen and we could figure out like what was best for us and what was best for the kids. If if we could do that that weekend or what, like as a joint team. Yeah. Yeah. And I didn't have anyone to like talk about these things. And I wasn't sure, is this the right timing to do this? Do the kids need to go to this? Do we need to do this? And I had to step up and just make all those decisions. And I was so used to him making so many decisions that I had to be that person. Now I had, had no one to like really bounce that off of those type of family things. Like Mm -hmm. what school should we put the kids in? Should we go to Montessori or private or public or, you know, I'm just having to make these decisions without him. That, that was really hard not having that person to just bounce the ideas off with and, and feel like, you've got this person that you trust that like, if he made the decision, you'd be totally fine with because you, you really respect and trust him. Yeah. Um, But I definitely did learn how to, to confront Mm -hmm. and not in a negative way, but just when someone was asking too much of me or when certain things, I didn't realize there was so much like so much going on in life that like Kyle was taking care of that I was like blind to when it came to like our family. So Mm -hmm. as independent as I was and am, like he still took on a lot and all of a sudden it was all on me. And, uh, it was just, it was a lot. Yeah. It is a lot. Yeah. To suddenly all the decisions, all the parenting is on you. Mm -hmm. That's a lot. So obviously, I mean, we know you just talked about it, that you married my cousin eventually, and you've raised three awesome kids to adulthood, and you're still following Jesus. So (laughs) can you bridge some of that gap for us? Like, that's a really big gap. Yeah. Like, how did you get through it? Obviously, you talked about community. Right. Yeah. Having that community, especially the the church community, my best friends, um, lots and lots of journaling, prayer journals tons of those that helped me a ton to just get my get my thoughts and my prayers out on paper but I also as lonely as it was and like to the point where I I can't even describe the loneliness there was always always an underlying feeling of of peace Mm And I felt it, even a glimpse of it at the hospital when they came and told me that he had died. Like, mm-hmm. I, I think about the verse Philippians 4, 7, and I tell people this all the time, that it was just like a peace beyond my own understanding. The, yeah. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and your minds in Jesus Christ. And it was the first time in my life that like that actually made sense to me. Mm-hmm. Like, how could I have peace right now? There's no way I should have peace right now. That makes sense. And, you know, if I logically thought of it, I, about it, I would think, okay, no, I, I don't, I don't. But like, uh, there was an underlying feeling of peace mm. and it's, it stayed with me and still it's, it's with me till today. And I knew that like, God didn't make this happen. I know we live in a fallen world and stuff like this just happens. Um, and none of us can avoid things like this sometimes. So mm-hmm. uh I didn't think I was mad at God at the time. I just knew, okay, God is walking with me through this whole thing. I know he's right beside me. Um, You know, like I said earlier, I just, I saw him and all the people that helped. I saw him that way in the physical kind of way, but I just also had just a feeling and, and just knowing and knowing from my background that like, he's with me. He's not 
walking away. He's yeah. holding on to me. He sees a bigger picture, but he's also sad with me. Right. When did you first become a follower of Christ? Like when did you become a Christian? Well, I've been in church since I was born, okay. but I decided, you know, on my own around seven. Yeah. In children's yeah. church. So this has been <laughs> in you a long time. You had a, a very strong foundation. Yes. To begin with. Thankfully. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, when things like this happen, people can go in all kinds of different directions. For sure. Whether you're a Christian or not, a lot of people will find um, a thing, like an addiction. Yeah. It can be um, a person. It can be a substance. It right. can be, for me, mine was distractions and busyness. Mm-hmm. So I just stayed as busy as I could so I wouldn't have to stop and think about my situation and that I'm sad and that this is like, I, it's like uncomprehensible. Like I, yeah. I couldn't even, I couldn't sit with it. Mm. So I, my, my drug of choice was busyness. Um, I was lucky that it wasn't something that could hurt others or myself like Sure. It could ultimately, but, yeah. you know, um, like alcohol or something like that. And there's probably some form of busyness that isn't unhealthy. That's probably good, right? To yeah. see friends and to be out with your kids doing things. and Yes, because the opposite would be detrimental to me and the kids mm-hmm. to just sit at home and stop life. Yeah. So I learned to balance that eventually. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But it took a while. I was avoiding grief as long as I could. I don't blame you. Or so I thought. Sure, sure. So you said at the time that you just had this underlying peace and that you didn't feel like it was God's fault and that you weren't angry at God. You said at the time. Does that imply that you yeah. <laughs> later struggled a little bit more with that? Yeah. I'm a very, very logical person. And so every time I have a feeling, my head takes over. And yeah. it tries to shift that feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, or, or so it did. I've learned and grown and I'm able to sit with feelings more so these days. But um, a couple years ago, I went on a week long soul searching healing retreat of transformation and development um, that gave me a safe place to open some of these emotions that I had boxed up and would not let out. Uh And I had gone over 10 years of just... I had been going to counseling pretty much every week, every other week since Kyle died, but I was at a place where I just knew there was, there was more I needed to go through. I was standing in this threshold and I just could not take a step into it because I just knew it was going to be ugly and messy and hurt. It was, I was going to feel, and I did not want to feel that deeply and feel that much pain. Mm -hmm. So I avoided it for a long time, but on this week long retreat, um, they gave me a space where we could go through this process of thinking about someone that we are angry with. And I thought, gosh, I'm not angry with anyone. Like I like everybody. Like I can't <laughs> think of anybody I'm angry with. Yeah. And then they said, and it could even be God or someone that's passed away. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden I was like, oh gosh, are we really going to go there? Mm. And so I picked God and Kyle because I knew deep down there had to be some anger there that I couldn't just, you know, go Mm -hmm. through life without at least checking that out. Yeah. So I definitely checked it out. It was definitely there. Yeah. (laughs) I went through this process of being angry with God and then I, I did it with Kyle. And then they have you go through a process of just forgiving that person or God or whoever it is. What did you feel angry about? Um, I felt angry that God didn't stop it from happening or that that could even happen like to someone like him Mm -hmm. that was like this wonderful person that had a family and was a pastor and people loved him and he loved the Lord. Full of life. Yeah. It just didn't make any sense, but I wouldn't let myself go there all those years before. I kept telling myself, well, that's stupid. We live in a fallen world, Jen. Mm -hmm. Don't even think that way. Like Mm -hmm. it, it happened. Move on, you know? So I let myself be angry for him not stopping it. And And really that was it. And then with Kyle, 
I allow myself to be angry at him for leaving us. For leaving, yeah. Which again, in my mind, I would say right. that's he ridiculous. Didn't he didn't choose it. it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But he still left. Yeah. Whether he chose it or not. He he still left me with these three kids to raise by myself. And so that moment of letting myself be angry and then going through the process of forgiving them was the most like powerful and healing moment Mm -hmm. of my grieving process really. Mm. And I would have never thought that I would have been like, well, that's silly. Yeah. (laughs) Be angry at God and Kyle. What the heck, you know? Yeah. Well, it's like logically you knew kind of the, I don't even know if right answers is the right thing to say, but just you had answers for your mind. But you still were dealing with this internal like anger at what had happened. And maybe do you think naming it was a big part of that healing process? Yes. So I think being able to know like where that was attached was super helpful. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I'm very thankful for that that week. And I learned a lot of things and a lot of things about emotions and myself. And it was a it was a really good healing week for me. So yeah, okay. I want to go back a little bit because you said this happened a couple years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, but before that, did you ever think, "Gosh, will I ever find love again? Will I ever get married again?" Like, did you allow yourself to even think about it or go there for a while? Yes. Yeah, so after Kyle died, I I kind of thought logically, well, gosh, you know, the Lord wants these kids to have a father. He doesn't want them to be raised just by me. Surely I'll get married again. I mean, this wasn't right off the bat, but sure. But I thought like, oh, maybe I'll think about it in five years or something like that. But Harris came along a few years later and shockingly (laughs) we fell in love and we got married um, about three and a half years after Kyle died. Mm -hmm. And And you actually kind of knew Harris before and Kyle knew Harris before, right? Correct. Um, Harris was on our leadership team at church and I was on the leadership team. And so we all knew Harris. I mean, he would come to our house and babysit with his friends. And I mean, he was around all the time. Avery from the second she met him when she was two, he started Baylor when she was two and she fell in love with Hales. Hales. And it's all she would talk about was Hales. <laughs> and we have videos we watch. If you only knew what oh, was in your future. Oh my goodness. I know. It's crazy. We were watching home videos over Christmas and Avery had just woken up from a nap and she's telling me all about her nap and how she had a dream about Hales. <gasps> and uh, I was like, oh my gosh, Harris is sitting right there with us. And we we're watching this little, you know, four-year-old or three, I think she was, no, no, she was, yeah, she was about four years old at the time. But the funny thing is that went on for about a year or two, maybe three. But then she came to me one Sunday morning on the way to church, right before church, she came to me and said, mommy, I just want you to know that Hayless and I are just friends now. And I'm like, oh, really? Well, that's awesome. Okay. And then I went to church and told him and he was like sad, you know, that Avery yeah. had that big crush. But that was before Kyle even died. Um, wow. Avery had her little crush. Hmm. So yeah. And then Harris was, um, he had uh, minored in religion. So he took a course where Kyle was his mentor for a semester. So they became really close then. And I mean, Kyle absolutely loved Harris. And I would have just, I would have never thought yeah. about that back then because Harris was just this college kid. Yeah. You know? like, well, and it wasn't even a yeah. Why would I even go Option. there? Yeah. I've got, <laughs> I've got a great husband, you know, I'm not thinking in those terms. So, yeah. but, um, so we started dating a couple years after Kyle died and Harris was living in California at the time going to seminary and had another year left. And I just felt like he needed to know what it was like to actually live day to day, like with three children. I just didn't Mm -hmm. think we could continue to date and like get more serious. Because at this point you were dating long distance. Yeah. How did you like reconnect? Um, well, he had come, Sarah, his sister was graduating from vet school at A&M one weekend and he decided to come up to Waco and surprise some friends, but everybody was gone. 
they had already graduated and had like left for the summer. So he came out to our house and just randomly surprised us and went to dinner with the kids. And we just started talking and we just had such a great night, but we didn't, we knew that we enjoyed like hanging out together, but like, we didn't know there would be really anything to come of it. Mm -hmm. And then we, we did talk on the phone while he was in California before we even started dating. We talked on the phone a couple of times during the semester or something like that. And just keep tabs and yeah. whatnot. And he'd check on us, things like that. And then I went to go visit him Labor Day weekend that next summer after he had come and eaten dinner with us. And I was going to visit him and another friend. And we just ended up hanging out a ton that week. And there was just one night where we were at a restaurant and I just started writing all these things down and he went to the bathroom and came back and he's like, I need to talk to you about something. I'm like, me too. Mm. And we both like had the same things. We're like, okay, this is crazy. This can't <laughs> really happen. Can this really happen? You know, like I'm nine years older. I have three kids. You're 23 years old. Mm. I mean, this does not seem like it would work, but he's such an old soul and yeah, such a sure. wonderful person that like, we just decided, okay, let's start, let's start dating. The professor. <laughs> yeah. Professor B. So we, we dated and that, that next summer, the kids and I moved out to California and that was in 2008. And we lived in like a duplex, I don't know, a couple of miles from where he lived and he'd come and eat dinner with us and hang out on the weekends and do all the like kid things to, mm -hmm. and he got a good taste of what it was like and he still wanted to. like how, how this works in real life <laughs> yes yes I needed him to see that you can't you can't see it when you just come for a weekend or you know yeah things like that so mm -hmm. um my mom was telling me the other day she's like we thought it was the dumbest decision of your life to take my babies <laughs> out of Texas and go all the way to California for a boy. Oh. And I'm like, she goes, but now I look back and it was the best decision you could have made. Like, you know, yeah. we, were, we were just talking about decisions in life. And and I'm like, wow, I would have never known that you felt that way because she seemed supportive at the time and whatnot. But it was pretty crazy. Well, you probably look back and are like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe I did that. Yeah, it was pretty it was pretty bold. So anyway, we dated that semester and got married in March of 2009. Mm -hmm. so. And I was a little upset at that date because I was like super nine months pregnant. And I know. Couldn't fly out to California. I was super sad. I know. That was so sad. It was a fun, it was a fun wedding. It was a hundred people and 80 of them came from out of state. I so. love it. <laughs> wow. That's crazy. So you guys got married. Yes, we got married and we chose before, or I chose and he agreed um, before we started dating that I didn't want to have any more kids. Yeah. Didn't you have a couple of stipulations? I can yes. remember. I can yes. remember one Thanksgiving, Harris coming to Oklahoma City and we were at my aunt's house. And I remember like sitting on the kitchen counters and him saying, okay, I have a story to tell you. I have something to tell you. And like explaining the whole situation. And then at some point, I don't know if it was then or later, but saying that you had a couple stipulations that you were done having kids. Kids and that you wanted to keep your kid's last name, Lake. Yes. Oh, good memory. Yep. Wow. I remember. Yeah, those were the two. And honestly, like my counselor at the time was like, you know, bring these up to him. And my counselor actually met with Harris and, and I both one day. And he's like, look, it'd be good for you to just think on this for a couple weeks. Don't don't make a decision. This is right yeah. before we like we knew we wanted to date, but we hadn't like made it official and talked to our family or anything like that. We were still just talking and um, so he took a couple weeks and he came back and said, you know, I, I thought I'd always have my own biological kids, but I'm in it. So Aww. he was crazy enough to take us on <laughs> and, uh, we're all four of us are very thankful for it. Mm. But I remember just how determined he seemed like, it just seemed like it was so right. It was just such a God thing. Yeah. I mean, it just was so easy. It, mm -hmm. The whole thing just... Of course, moving out to California doesn't sound like an easy thing, but everything just lined up well. He's such an easy person. He just joined our family with just such ease. And mm -hmm. it was just, it was a great time. It was as hard as it is to have little kids and to like maneuver all that. Everybody was so resilient. Newlyweds with yeah. kids. Yeah. Yeah. So we're actually finally like 
getting to have that honeymoon time now. You know, we didn't have <laughs> that. Your empty nesters. Yes, we we just went straight into having you know kids. The kids were eight and a half and six and a half when we got yeah. married. So, and he's an empty nester at thirty eight. Yeah, thirty seven. Yeah, he just turned thirty eight. So he mm-hmm. he he was a youngin. <laughs> so I think one of the most beautiful things about your family is that you all honor Kyle including Harris, and you all honor Harris, like including the kids, including your families. And you've stayed close to Kyle's family, from what I understand. And Mm -hmm. all of that, I'm sure, is just really complex and really messy. But it just seems like that you've navigated it so beautifully. Like, has that been hard? Or has that just been something that has come with the grace of the whole thing? Oh, yeah, that's, mm, yeah, it did not come easy. I wanted to be everything for everyone at first. And I I had to let that go. I wanted to be at everything, do everything, especially with Kyle's parents, because I wanted them to get to be around the kids as much as possible. But I, I also wanted to do, well, what would Kyle do? Would he have, would he be doing this? Like, I need to go to this funeral or I need to go to this wedding or we need to go there for Thanksgiving. And we, what we did is set up like Thanksgiving and Christmas alternating with my family from when Kyle and I got married. And we've just kept that same pattern. Mm -hmm. And then my parents and Harris's parents kind of split the holiday, whichever one it is. Okay. We'll see both of them usually on that holiday. Um, But we still alternate the holidays with the lakes and we still go on family vacations and there's seven lake cousins at Baylor right now. And they're all super close. It's so fun to see them going to dinners together and hanging out together. And they just, they all love each other, Mm -hmm. but it was not easy because I just I put so much pressure on myself if if I was doing the right thing. Mm -hmm. And I finally had to let that go. Um, And that was kind of hard to let that go and be okay with Kyle's family um, seeing me as someone that's not doing the right thing. Mm-hmm. I, I had to let that go. And it's still hard to say, like, I don't want them to see me as someone that doesn't do the right thing, but I had to do what was right for me and for my kids at right. that time. I had to make the decisions that way. Was it hard for you to feel like, well, now they see me with Harris? Like, was that hard or was that never really that hard? Yeah, I could feel that that had to be hard for them. They took in Harris so well. They all, I mean, every one of them love Harris so much and I think really like and respect him. But I'm sure that was really hard and it probably still is just like it's hard when I'm with them. I can't help but think about Kyle. Yeah. And when they're with me and my kids and then they see Harris, I'm sure they can't help but think about Kyle. So sure. um, But it's not like you have to pick one. Like, right. I know that sounds weird, but like you can love and honor them both. And I see your kids doing that, which I think is just so amazing. Like they love and honor the legacy of their dad. And then they also love and honor Harris, like in the present. Yes. They're, they're very good about that. Yeah. It is very complicated to be in love with two men mm-hmm. and it be okay. <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, like, mm-hmm. And for Harris to be okay. And for with him that. to be okay with it. <laughs> yeah. But he loved Kyle too. Yeah. So that helps. Yes. Yes. And he, he knows what I loved. He knows what I lost. And that is so important to me that I found somebody that actually knew Kyle Mm -hmm. and knew our family. That was super important. Um, and I'm very blessed to have had that, like Mm -hmm. not everybody gets to have that in a second marriage after losing someone, but yes, it can be a complicated thing loving two men, but I have, my husband now is one that, honors Kyle and reminds me even to honor Kyle sometimes Mm -hmm. and reminds me of my love for Kyle sometimes when October rolls around and I'm kind of like starting to get down a little bit and I don't know why I'm a little more down or irritated or whatever and he's like you know it's October like he he lets me know Mm -hmm. like it's okay just take a deep breath it's October this is you know and so I mean he he sends me flowers on the day of Kyle's death. Harris has even sent me flowers on my anniversary with Kyle before. <laughs> like mm. he even did that one year, like just to know that he was thinking about it and thinking about me. So yeah. I think there's so many situations in life where we have to sit in that tension where it is super complex and it just doesn't always like have a bow wrapped on top of it. Yeah. And I think your ability to sit in that tension well, just with grace and mercy and love is really inspiring. So thank you. 
Okay. So then uh, was this just a couple years ago? When was it that Harris had a surgery? It was in November, 2018. Okay. Yeah. So well, tell everyone what okay. happened. So Harris had his heart checked. He had a heart check up each year uh, because he has a bicuspid um, valve in his heart and he just always gets it checked up. Yeah. And he's super fit. Yes. Like a, he bikes is, and yes. he's adventurous. and Yes. He doesn't have an ounce of body fat on him. He's just lean muscle. Um, he looks like a swimmer, you know. Yeah, um, he does. Broad shoulders and thin everywhere. When he turns sideways, my friends always tease that he disappears. He's <laughs> 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 like so thin. Um, but so at his checkup, the doctor saw that there was a big change from the year before. And so he scheduled him to go see the surgeon in Houston. And I was like, Oh, do you need me to go? He's like, no, no, I'm just going to have this checkup. He's just going to tell me what's going on. And he goes and literally within a few minutes, the surgeon's like, well, you're going to need open heart surgery. Your aorta has basically it's stretching and it's stretching too thin. And, um, you're going to need to get a new aorta, like a mechanic, like one made out of, um, Oh gosh, I forgot which metal it's made Was it of. titanium? Is it something like that? It's not titanium, but it's some kind of metal. I should know this. He wears, he has it in a ring on his right hand. Yeah. I'll have to ask him. I don't know. I know this is really bad. <laughs> it's a really strong metal. Okay, people. It's a very, very strong metal. And it is this large ring that has like doors on it that works as your valve now. So they put that in his heart and they um, put like a sleeve out of like, it looks like a sock almost. And took out part of his aorta and replaced it with that, like a stronger piece. So anyway, so he finds this out, like within a month and a half, he has eight hour surgery, open heart. He was split open for five of those hours. Um, Was not a not a fun adventure. Yeah. Did this bring up some of these like feelings? I mean, I feel like your faith had to have been tested again. Like, God, what is happening here? Yeah, the whole thing happened really fast, but I don't think I let myself sit with the fact that he could like die. Mm -hmm. I knew that if he didn't do the surgery, he would die within two years is what the doctor said. That's very serious. (laughs) Yeah. And so we were wanting the surgery as soon as possible, which they were able to do. So that thought, I was like, oh my gosh, I don't want him to die. (laughs) That thought had occurred to me, but yet I never thought I was never worried about his surgery, which is so weird to me. Like I was worried that it's going to be this big surgery that he, you know, he'll have a big recovery that I hope it goes well. I hope they're able to do everything. But the fact that he wouldn't wake up, it wasn't even a thought of mine. And I didn't realize we didn't really talk about him dying. We just didn't talk about that. Mm -hmm. But a couple of nights before he had surgery, he had written letters to the kids and me like a page long and he read it to each of us. And at the time I was just like, this is so sweet. This is like so fun for our family that we have this. And then he's expressing all these things. And like, I was so naive to think that like for him, he's writing this thinking he might not wake up Uh, because when he did wake up, the first thing he said to me is, I can't believe I made it. And I go, wait, uh, what? You didn't think you'd make it? Thinking, I can't believe you didn't pick up on the back yes. that he wrote you guys all yes, these letters. I know. I'm just thinking this is so sweet. He's going through a moment because he's having a, a big lot surgery. Emotionally. Yeah. yeah, he's having this big surgery and he just wants to get this all out there. But I mean, if somebody would have said, could he die? I would have said, well, yes, but it just, I didn't dwell on it. I, I think it was God protecting me. My mind would not let me sit in that space at all. Mm-hmm. It just went to what's recovery going to be like? What do we need to do today? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So when he told me that, I was just like, oh, my gosh, you did not share that information with me that you were so Mm -hmm. scared. He's like, you know, and he told me later, he's like, you've already lost one husband. I didn't want to sit there and talk about what if I go to, you know. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, he kept that pretty pretty good. (laughs) But um, it all went well. He's super healthy. He can do all the things he did before. Mm -hmm. He has to, like, limit some things. But he pulled through and we made it. It was a a super fun recovery. (laughs) I remember getting the updates Mm -hmm. and I was just like, oh, this sounds miserable. Yeah. And having to bathe your husband. 
Oh yeah. <laughs> it's not, it's not fun. Not fun for him either. Right. It was so sad. Yeah. He just wanted to be able to help and do something and he couldn't do anything. Yeah. Well, especially for our men that are so like self-sufficient, it's weird to need help. Yes. So now when you're faced with like big life events like that, that happened, like, do you notice yourself responding any differently than you would have when you were younger? Like I've been here before. Yeah. Or what goes through your mind or do you, or do you just ignore it until, yeah. <laughs> until it's okay? Yeah. I think if it's something I'm worrying about, like I have no control over it. Like if I get a call late at night and it's Avery crying about something and immediately my heart drops mm-hmm. and I think she's been in a wreck and I need to know, are the boys with you? Are the boys? And I'm just like, I get frantic. Like every time the phone rings, I still have like, <laughs> I'm still triggered by it. Come on, people. You're not supposed to use the phone for that. I know. I know. <laughs> and that's like, it's just the house phone. Or if it's a number that's like used to like, if it was a local number, cause I have a Waco number and I'm in college station. If a local number called after the boys left for school or for somewhere, mm-hmm. I got a phone call from, so I would, my heart would drop and I would like not even want to answer it, but I would hesitantly answer it thinking it's someone telling me there's been a wreck or something. Mm. I have worked through a lot of that and counseling and some of the things that trigger me, but it just, your body, your body remembers those things and it's Mm -hmm. hard to get it out of the habit of that sometimes. Mm -hmm. Um, Well, and the truth is those things can happen. And so But most likely that's not what's happening. So almost like having to talk yourself off a ledge. Right. But I kind of hate it when people are like, everything's going to be okay. Nothing's going to happen. It's like, you don't know that. You don't know that. Yeah. But, (laughs) you know, statistically or like rationally thinking, logistically, it's probably going to be okay. Yeah. But when it's a bigger thing, when I know something's coming, like his surgery's coming or something like that, when I feel like I have time to prepare, I do, of course, a lot better than just the the things that are thrown at mm-hmm. me all of a sudden. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, like we just said, I'm sure that you're a different person than you were before the accident and obviously just years and wisdom and oh, yeah. growing up and all those things in general, but also... I bet your perspective is different. So is there anything that you want to share that you've learned over the years? Um, Yes, I think one of the biggest things that I learned, I I really, as I mentioned before, I really fought grieving for a while. I Mm -hmm. just didn't want to go there. I did not want to feel it was just it was too much for me to go there, which makes sense. You know, we can only handle so much, but I really put it off for a lot longer than I needed to. And Mm. grief is a huge part of who I am. And I think sometimes people refuse to want to grieve because they think that they'll start forgetting the person that was deceased. Or I I think there was probably a part of me that thought, well, I'll just keep all this grief so that I still have Kyle with me. Mm -hmm. Because if I get rid of the grief as if you can fully grieve a hundred percent, you know, and not have grief anymore, which that can't happen. But there was this like logical part of me or Ill- illogical part of me that thought, but if I, I grieve really well and he's not going to be a part of me anymore. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I've discovered that's not the case that yeah, after many, many years of counseling, I've slowly realized, and I mean, slowly <laughs> that I have to feel to grieve Mm -hmm. and I have to grieve to heal. Mm. So I was fighting even feeling. And so finally, when I allowed myself to feel a lot of the feelings, I was able to grieve well. And in grieving well, I've been able to heal through the process. That's good. So that's probably the biggest thing that I've learned coming out of this and, and knowing that, um, God's desire for us is to be healed and mm-hmm. to grieve well. And I was just putting my fists up saying, nope, I'm not going to do it. Mm-hmm. And he, he knew what was best for me. And I finally, <laughs> I finally said, okay, I'll do it. I'll do it. But yeah. it took a while. Mm-hmm. But in that, you're still keeping his legacy alive. And especially, you know, I think of Avery, Jude, and Sutton. Obviously, Kyle was such a huge part of their lives. And Harris has continued to be a massive part of their lives as well. So they've grown into awesome humans. Yeah. I know you can't fully speak for them, but I guess as the mom, you know, I would worry the most about my kids and how they're going to handle this and how they're going to process it and how they're going to be able to continue to move on. How has that been for them? 
they have done a really great job. I mean, we do talk about Kyle a lot and we did as they were growing up. So they got to process a little bit like that, but they've also, I think going to college and I know for Avery, it was a shock to her to go back to the town, Mm -hmm. to go to Baylor in Waco where we were for 15 years Mm -hmm. and for her to go and see people, all the people that knew her when she was little and knew Kyle Mm -hmm. and them to say things about Kyle and they say the sweetest, kindest things, but like it was a lot for her at first. She, she wasn't anticipating that when she went to college and as much as she like loved it, it was also really hard to be in his space, basically like the town Mm -hmm. that, that he was in and yeah, like the reality. Yeah. This is where he was alive. Right. And I think not living in that town and moving to California and then to College Station, her not living in that space, um, there was a part of the grieving that was missing that she had to go through when she got to college. And I know the boys have had a year like that, too, where they've just seen and been around. And now they're able to, like, be friends with so many of our friends that we had when we were living um, in Waco. They they go the kids all go to dinner with one of our best friends, um, Craig on Sunday nights. And he was one of Kyle's best friends. And, Mm. um, and it's just one of Craig's highlights of his week because he, he gets to have a little part of Kyle with him, you know, on those Sunday nights. And he just, it's so fun for him to see how they've grown up and, and who they've become. But I think a, a lot of the processing has happened at this age. And I remember my brother's a counselor and I remember him telling me when they were little that they'll go through seasons of grief, like at different times in their life. And Mm -hmm. um, the college season happened to just be a really big one um, due to the location of college, too. So, Mm -hmm. well, I feel like you've done a good job, Mama. (laughs) Thank you. I know I'm I'm blown away when I look at them and how they've turned out. I just I, I feel God's restoration and grace and love more than anything when I see that, because if you'd known them when they were little and then with me <laughs> raising them for three and a half years alone, and then with Harris and Harris had such a great impact on them in their life and them being the people they are. I just, I just never would have guessed they'd have turned out so great. So I, yeah. I get overwhelmed by the goodness of God when I see them now, mm. because it's just I mean, they're not perfect, but they sure. they sure turned out great. So yeah, we know they're not perfect, of course, but they're pretty awesome. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, I just want to know. We love to ask: Have there been any specific resources that have just had a really massive impact on your life? Whether it's a book, or I don't know, a message, or an organization, or anything. Um, for me. Kyle always read a, a daily devotional called Mornings by Henry Nowen. Yeah. And he had his on his, the side of his bed. So I always, I just took it and put it on my side of the bed after that. And that was something I loved. I really like Henry Nowen. Mm-hmm. Um, one of his other books that I, I really liked during the first couple years after Kyle died, um, it was called Turn My Morning Into Dancing. It was a great book on mourning and grief. And then C.S. Lewis's book, A Grief Observed, was oh, yeah. a helpful one as well. Mm. Um, there was actually even one called When Things Fall Apart. It's written by a, actually an American Buddhist nun. <laughs> but I was able to like read it with like a Christian perspective. Yeah. And it was an excellent book. Um, okay. But those books probably were the biggest ones. Now, didn't Kyle write a book yeah. called like? understanding God's will or something like that. Yeah. Was that at all helpful, like in the years to follow just his perspective on kind of thinking through God's will for our lives or was that not helpful? Yeah, he wrote, he was supposed to do a five book series and he got, he wrote two of them. And the first one was understanding God's will. And the second one was understanding prayer. And then the other three were understanding other things. I don't remember what they were, but, um, you going to finish them? Write the next three? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'll, <laughs> I'll finish them for him. Um, understanding God's will, I read while he was alive and I, I loved it. And then the understanding prayer, I had started it right before he, he had just gotten it like the month before. So I had started it. Um, 
And I have gone back to that book about six or seven times. And I just, I, I start all the way over again and I just can't, I can't do it. Mm. So it's, it's, it's written the way he, you know, talked. And so, and I have not reread understanding God's will. Mm. I absolutely loved it when I first read it and I was so proud of him and it was such a refreshing view on God's will. But I also had the same theology as him. So you kind of knew what he thought about it. I've carried that on. Yeah. Yeah. So I've carried on the thoughts that he had in the book um, are similar to my thoughts. So Okay. I was just curious. Yeah. I didn't know if reading his words after would be helpful or if that would be just too hard. Yeah. They're sitting. Actually, it's funny. I just they were sitting on my bedside table and like 30 minutes before this podcast, I put them in a basket under my bedside table. Cause I'm like, okay, they've been sitting there for four months and I've not picked them up again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm going to put them away again and then I'm going to pick them up again. And that's okay. Yeah. I just need to push through it one of these days and I know I'll, I'll be glad I did. I just have yet, I've yet to do it, but I think that's okay. I think it's on your time. Yeah. So if ever, yeah, not implying that you should. I was just curious. Yeah. So. Well, I could talk to you forever, but I guess we got to get back to real life. So I'm yes. curious as we end our time together, what final thing do you just want everyone to know? And maybe it's for someone who's faced a tremendous loss like you have. Um, what's something you just really want them to know and carry along with them? I guess I'll just talk. I don't really have my thoughts together on that particular thing because I don't feel like I'm like words of affirmation are not my thing. (laughs) And I don't feel like I'm a very encouraging person, Whatever. Um, but I was just think about my, my story, my experience and think about what got me through. Yeah. How would you encourage yourself back then? Yeah. As I said earlier, I would encourage someone to go ahead and and sit with the feelings and grieve and grieve well. I put it off and sometimes that's necessary for a little bit of time, but sometimes when people put that off for too long, they don't ever take care of it. Mm -hmm. And so I would encourage people to keep going, to keep going to counseling, to keep going to church, to keep going to your community group, to keep doing all those things with people Mm -hmm. that will be bringing life all the friendships, all the family, everyone that gives life is what you need to be around during that time. And the biggest thing is just not fighting the the grief to allow yourself to feel Mm -hmm. no matter how hard it is and to ask for help. I think I fought with that too, is not wanting to ask for help. People want to help in so many ways and there's so many different kinds of ways people can help. And I just... I always think I can do it. I can do it on my own. I don't need others, you know. And I finally got to a place where I'm like, okay, I need others and mm-hmm. I need God and I just need help. So, yeah, it's good. Surrounding myself with all those people ended up being a really, really good thing for me. It's really good. I don't have really any big thing of <laughs> wisdom. Listen, you just said we need God, we need people, and we need help. Yeah. I think that pretty much boils it down to the most important things in life. So that's true. God and people. Yeah. Yeah. You're awesome. Your strength and just resilience and the ability to still trust God even after going through so many hard things in your life. I, I said it before, but it really is inspiring. And so thank you, thank you for being willing to share with us. I know sure. that's not easy to kind of bring it, bring all these feelings back up, but yeah, so many are going to be encouraged. So thank you, Jen. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I hope I see you soon. I know. Me too. We should make it happen. All right, guys. Well, thank you again for taking the time to join us to hear Jen's powerful story. And if you don't already know, you can subscribe to The Messy Table for free wherever you like to stream, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, Stitcher. We also keep everything posted to Instagram, which is how a lot of people like to stay connected. So you can find us there at The Messy Table Podcast. And last, you can find all the resources we just talked about linked in the conversation notes. So guys, we get asked a lot, what can I do to help to share these stories of hope? And the answer is really simple. Just share them. 
share them on social media or text them to a friend or tell your coworker or workout partner when you see them face to face. We actually know of some groups of women who listen individually and then get together with friends or a small group and talk about what they learned. Whatever you do, as you head back into your week and into your life, don't forget, yes, life is messy, but God is at work in your mess. Mm -hmm.